It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. Want to thank everyone for joining us this Thursday afternoon. Of course, this is a Tide and Tiger Thursday afternoon. Brett Greenberg will be joining us at 5 o'clock to talk all things Alabama and the recruiting that's going hot and heavy in Tuscaloosa. And at 5.30, we'll have Brian Stoltz to talk about the Auburn Tigers. Of course, there's so much gambling going on in the NFL. Suspensions being laid down, especially with the Indianapolis Colts franchise. We'll go there and talk to Kent Sterling, who can give us insight on what's going on in Indianapolis. We'll also talk to our friend Lindsey Crosby covering Major League Baseball. And also Travis Brown will try to break down these state laws with NIL and the state laws that allow certain states to go ahead and have boosters or NIL funds to be accepted for perks as well. So we have you covered today on the final drive and the Tide and Tiger report here on WNSP 105.5. But last night, folks, it doesn't happen often in Major League Baseball. And, of course, we have the All-Star game that's getting ready to hit us here in a couple of months. Michael Brauner, perfection last night in Major League Baseball. It's one thing to have a no-hitter, but it's another thing when you sit and are having perfection, a perfect game that was thrown by none other than a New York Yankee. So if there's going to be a franchise in Major League Baseball that you would really have to sit out and think about what franchise that would be, it definitely was one in Major League Baseball with the New York Yankees, and that being Domingo Armand throwing that perfect game for the Yankees, the fourth in the Yankees' history. Yeah, I believe only the 24th in baseball history. You know how long baseball has been around for. So, yeah, been plenty of no-hitters. Perfect game's a little bit more rare. So, uh, you know, they don't come around every year by any stretch. So always a cool story whenever there's a perfect game. Domingo Herman does it. Very cool to see. You know, every time there's a perfect game, it always comes up. Really, the 25th perfect game, if you remember, Armando Galarraga of the Tigers and the Jim Joyce blown call in the uh, in the ninth inning with two outs on the ground ball. Uh, that's always fun to bring up every time there's a perfect game. But no, uh, you know, gr- great for great for Domingo. Always cool to see that. No hits, no walks, nine strikeouts on 99 pitches. So, I mean, that's, a rid- that's, that's ridiculous, man. You know, uh, less he, than 100 pitches. Thing. How many strikeouts do you have? Uh, so, he wound up having nine, nine strikeouts. Nine, so, nine, so nine. if you're looking for the perfect game, I think it's it's virtually impossible 
to go 27 up and 27 down. As far as 27 pitches, 27 out. Uh, excuse me. Those those outs that are are that are 27 total. I, I just don't think you'll see that. So for 99 pitches to be thrown, I don't think you'll throw 27 and and have a first time swinger every time or or get those outs in Major League Baseball. That's why you only see 24 in the history of Major League Baseball and and four by the Yankees. But I I, I mean here's a a pitcher who within the last two starts, gave up 17 runs. So you mean to tell me, that's why this is a real, real funny profession. He's great enough to be a Major League Baseball player, right? But within his last start, he gets rocked for 10 runs, eight earned, and then in this last time before that, he gets booed off of the mound by the New York Yankee fans and then turns around not just having a no-no but to have a perfect game that that's got to be the emotional roller coaster that is probably unparalleled we had a young man in here yesterday Jared Hollins talking about you can't get too high and you can't get too low you want to stay even killed but imagine being booed off of the mound for giving up too many runs and then turn around and have a perfect game in Major League Baseball yeah, that's what's cool about baseball, man. Any given day, I mean, all these guys they're they're good enough to be MLB pitchers. This means on their very best day, and you know, playing uh, playing the Athletics minor league lineup certainly helps some things there. But no, on any given day, you can you can come out and see history. So, very cool stuff. Well, it, it's not only that. I mean, now when you when you transition a little bit over to what's going on in, in college football. You know, the Division One proposal committee wants to cut the transfer portal winner window in half from 60 days to 30 days. Now, I think that this is a, a great idea because, again, the transfer portal is one in which I'm in favor of. I like the transfer portal. Is that just for football specifically or is that across all sports? It's going to have to be across all sports. Okay. I, I don't think that you can sit there – and say that I just want this to be a football-based. Well, I guess they all have different windows based on different seasons, but, you know, we but saw Quinterly enter <laughs> enter the portal in late June. So I mean, college football is, is, is set up to where, you know, you, you definitely have a, a couple of different windows. And, of course, you know, for the winter sports, there is a 60-day window uh, from the championship selection and then a 45-day window for the spring sports. The transfer portal is something that, again, coaches have been able to leave and take an amount of money anytime they want to leave as far as getting an upgrade within a job. Now, a player, I don't think that the restrictions, I know a lot of coaches feel that let's go back to the way we used to do things in regards to if a coach gets fired or there's a change at the top in staff, you have an opportunity to go ahead and transfer without any penalties. But as far as back in the day, you would have an opportunity to learn the system for an entire year prior to sure. having to transfer and be eligible. So to me, it's beneficial to me when you're in a system for a year, if that team wins the national championship without you, guess what you're still going to receive? you're still going to get that national championship ring. 
whether you participated actively or not. Now, you can practice, but you just can't play in those games. So to say, all right, well, I, I go to Alabama or I go to Auburn, and in the old days I had to sit out a year because I did transfer because of not because of academic eligibility issues, just that's the way transfer procedures and policies worked. Now it's totally different. You leave as a graduate student, automatically eligible. You leave as a non-graduate student, automatically eligible. The free one-time transfer. The free one-time transfer rule. But you see some people with the ability, like you say, as a grad transfer that have transferred twice. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we're coming up on, Michael, is the end of what I call the free COVID year in regards to collegiate athletics. Because <laughs> in 2020, if you were part of a collegiate roster in 2020... You were able to get another year of eligibility pretty much no matter what. You had that other year, and, and especially yeah. it was a bonus for you if you were a freshman. Yeah. So now if you were a freshman coming in in 2020... It didn't even really matter what you... You know, if you were a college athlete during the year of 2020, you know, you were able to swing another year of eligibility. I mean, it, it got out of hand, and, with, and without now, a doubt. You're, you're, you're seeing that come to an end that extra year to where if you were a freshman coming in and you received that extra year of eligibility here within the next year those those type of athletes are done because they came in as a freshman in 2020 so the transfer portal I think that it, it can be used correctly uh, but to me the advantage has definitely been one in which the college athletes have been behind the eight ball and have always asked, why are my coaches able to leave and not be penalized and I'm not able to leave and be penalized? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a difficult conversation. And NIL has kind of muddied that water entirely as well. And I think, like, I don't think anyone was against the free one-time transfer rule. It, it was logical. It makes sense. If, if it's not working out for someone at a certain school for whatever reason, you know, there's a thousand different reasons why that might be the case. I don't think anyone's against being able to transfer one time without penalty. Having to sit out a year was was foolish. I, I never thought that made sense. But it's now the reason these, these kids are transferring is very often, you know, you see it especially in college baseball, is for NIL reasons. I mean, look at the players Alabama has lost, for example. You know, Alabama is kind of is just becoming a feeder program to these larger SEC schools just because, well, they don't invest a lot of money into baseball, whereas your Floridas and LSUs of the world do, and then you just lose your best athletes. And you know, it's even more prevalent for the mid-major schools as well. And look at a guy like Paul Skeens; he w he wasn't at LSU originally. He came to LSU probably for NIL reasons. And you understand why? Like the opportunity is there, so you understand why they're going to do it. But NIL wasn't intended to be used as a recruiting tool. Obviously, it has, and it is. No one's, uh, you know, no one's denying that no, at this point. That. Uh, and, and so, you know, the transfer portal and NIL are kind of, you know, tied hand in hand at this point, and it, and it's just an entire mess. So, you know, I don't, well, I don't know what the solution is. Here's some numbers for you. All right, in the past winter transfer portal, two thousand two hundred and twenty-four Division One football players enter the transfer portal. Okay, that's Division One football players. And then, of course, you have the springtime portal period to where you had 1,373 players enter the transfer portal. So now you're looking at a total of 3,607 Division One 
football players who entered the transfer portal within a calendar year. To me, that that's it, it wasn't even half of that. It was a fourth of that less than 10 years ago. And I understand times and people do change. But man, oh my, when you look at over 3,000 student athletes jumping in the portal and being able to be eligible immediately on that one-time transfer or if you're a grad student to be able to do it multiple times, I, I think that that number in and of itself is amazing to me. Now, Auburn and Alabama have both benefited. South Alabama, the programs are definitely going to benefit because you see a lot of Power 5 guys leave and go to the non-Power 5 schools. I mean, you have, you know, 8 to 10 guys added to rosters sure. at non-Power 5 schools that used to play at Power 5s for whatever reason, whether it's they were three-star recruits, four-star recruits, and weren't getting what they were promised or whether they feel that they can gain more NIL money at a non-Power 5 school because they are considered the man yeah, in, oftentimes in that particular it's, sport. It's not a matter of NIL. It's like, you know, if you're a three-star recruit who committed to Alabama and you know, you're looking down the, the barrel for two years and there's no path for you to play, well, you know, why should you have to stay at Alabama and, and never be able to play? And, you know, the, the transfer from a Power 5 to a non-Power 5, I guess, is a bit more rare and, and – uh, you know, there, there. It, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as like, uh, you know, you know, when it, when it, when a small school is taking a big school player, it, it doesn't feel as, uh, you know, you don't, you don't get a nasty feeling attached to it because it's not like, oh, Alabama just taking a player from UAB or whatever the case may be. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it, they're on the right track, but you know, NIL has, has, uh, has added a layer of complication to it, and you know the can of worms is open. So I don't really know how you can close it at this point. Well, you're definitely not going to be able to close it or put it back into the tube. That's for certain. And what we'll be able to do, we'll be able to come back after this break here and give you more of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this Tide and Tiger Thursday afternoon. This is Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Michael Bronner joining you this Thursday afternoon. And, of course, you can call us at 251-694-1055 or you can correspond with us in the app. And every single year we mentioned a couple of weeks ago about South Alabama winning the Big Boobis Cup, which signifies – the overall athletic achievements of all the athletic programs in the Sunbelt Conference. Well, they also have nationally a competition very similar to where you do have the Learfield Directors Cup standings, and it's judged in the same similar fashion as the overall success of athletic departments. And, you know, if you had to pick in the country, Michael Bronner, what what program would you consider or think would 
be overall number one nationally from a, a total athletic across program. all sports. Yes. Hmm. Alabama. Well, that would be wishful thinking. <laughs> Alabama. In years past. Wait, let me guess again. Okay. Florida. Florida was in the top five. Mm. They did finish up at number five. All right, let me guess again. Okay. LSU. LSU was not in the top five. They were at number nine. Mm. And I will say this, as far as from uh, SEC standpoint, you look at Florida, five, Tennessee, six, Georgia, seven, LSU, nine, and then – the Crimson Tide do come in at 12, followed by Arkansas at 13. Or Auburn comes in at 36 nationally as a program. And I, I think that as far as Auburn's continued climb, I mean, they were at 32nd a year ago and 50th the year before that. So they, they've definitely been on the upswing in regards to overall Learfield Directors Cup standings, so that equestrian team carrying them. I, you know, again, Stanford has <sighs> the number. You know, one. I was maybe going to guess Stanford, but uh, yeah, you know, I just didn't want to. I, I can totally understand why you wouldn't go with the Ivy League. They got a heck of a golf team. Yeah, and, and it's just not you know golf that Stanford's great at. You you see them competing in everything. Uh, maybe not as great in football. I think they, you know, maybe every third year they may be pretty decent in football, giving themselves an opportunity. They've fallen to on win. hard times. They, they they have fallen on hard times, but you know that that part of the rankings is pretty interesting. And as far as yeah, round out that top five for me, it, you, you go here, and the full rundown is Stanford at one, and then of course. Uh, Florida did lead the SEC in fifth. So two, three, and four. I'll have to go ahead and grab that for you for sure. Uh, but I, I just felt it was pretty interesting that the SEC, as far as their success and, and hanging on to the banner and, and trying to call themselves, you know, in a situation where they are by a lot of standards across the country are hated. The SEC is that conference for whatever mm. reason, and it may be because they're always winning, whether it's Georgia in football or when you look at baseball and you have another national champion in LSU or whether it's in women's basketball. So there is a sense of dominance that does come about. And as far as we're concerned in our neck of the woods, football definitely is going to always be the cash cow, basketball and baseball coming in probably second and third. But that that pretty that was pretty interesting in regards to me and what they felt and how the Learfield Sports Cup overall w was definitely won by Stanford and and not they place equal value across on on all sports on that they're, they're, the their scoring system I don't know how they do the scoring I don't know. I, I why Alabama's as low as twelve I mean you can debate all day whether Alabama had a successful calendar year but I mean you know. I think number one in number one in basketball, double SEC championship, had a historic soccer season. I think it was better, you know, with, without question. Made the tournament in women's basketball as well. Yeah, Man, I mean, I mean you, you you do have 12. success, but at the same time, I mean, is it on the level of are are you in your other sports that you and I don't even think about? 
whether it's swimming and diving or whether it's polo or whether it's equestrian, you know, those other sports that are non-revenue generating, whether it's tennis, whether it's golf, those non-revenue generating sports. When's the postseason golf? I'd have to look. I don't know. Stanford Uh, must be pretty solid. Oh, they're really good at golf. They had like four guys in the U.S. Open. Well, I mean, traditionally, Stanford dominates in golf, but as a whole, I, I think that, you know, no no question that you, you would have liked to have seen Alabama creep into the top ten, but, you know, that, that definitely didn't happen this year for them. So, I mean, you can't you, you can't cry out over the, the season and the achievements that they did have uh, because you look at the history that men's basketball did make, didn't make it as far as they wanted to, mm. uh, but overall as a program, it wasn't wasn't too shabby either. And I, I know that we're also going to talk a little later on about the NFL gambling rules with Kent Sterling and those players that were suspended in the NFL. We, we've heard for weeks that there were going to be more players that were going to go ahead and be placed on suspension in the NFL. Do you see uh, what that corner Isaiah Rogers had, had bet on? No, what, what what was it that he actually got in trouble for? Oh man, he it was a report. I think it was Schefter that had it. He had a a thousand dollar prop bet on uh, the over under for a Colts running backs rushing yards for a particular game. I mean, it, it, you you just why why would you do it? <laughs> I, I just don't understand. And as far as NCAA student athletes are concerned they do have new guidelines and some of those guidelines for NCAA student athletes student athletes who bet on their own sport but not involving their school or subject to a potential loss of 50 percent of a season and bets totaling more than $800 could result in a loss of 30 percent of eligibility plus rules uh, prevention education so I, I think that there are the times are, are changing a little bit, and here's one of the critical ones. Student athletes found to have engaged in activities to influence the outcome of games they're involved with or providing information to individuals involved in betting will face a potential permanent loss of collegiate eligibility, and the guideline applies to student athletes who bet on their own games or on other sports at their own school. So basically what it's telling you as a NCAA athlete, don't do it. Don't bet on it. it it's not worth it. Um, you know, you, you look at being able to lose your eligibility collegiately, whether it's a percentage of the games, whether it's being totally banned from being a, a student athlete. Is it is it worth it, Bron? That's what you have to ask yourself. Well, well no. <laughs> I would have to say no if, if, uh, if you're asking but, but you, me that. But you, you, you know that – now, there's so many ways to where they can monitor it. I mean, if they're monitoring professional athletes and their wagering habits and their wagering activities, then you know collegiately it's just as bad. I mean, just ask sure. Mr. Bohannon at <laughs> that Alabama. Was ne- that was my next point. A- exactly. You ask Coach Bohannon, is is it worth it? Or are they not watching those that are involved? So he cashed course, in on LSU to uh, to win the national championship, by the he, way. He had a he, big future on him. He, uh, he, he, look, I, I will say this. <laughs> <laughs> if, 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 when, when it all went down, 
as far as him getting into trouble, you had to wonder what what his wagers actually were and how he changed. Once he got fired, I wonder if he's like, all right, you know, I I can bet now. Yeah, I, I, you you can bet that there'll be some. Got to pay those lawyer fees somehow. He, he, hey, look, I hope he cashed in on them because if he didn't, it's going to be a tough situation for him here at three thirty. Coming up on the final drive, Kent Sterling will be joining us to talk exactly that. The NFL and its gambling problem, you know, it's their money, but betting at their own facilities, the Colts are the ones this year who the NFL really, really dug into. We'll talk to Kent Sterling next here on the final drive. Hi, this is ESPN founder Bill Rasmussen, and you're listening to WNSP Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, we've heard the rumblings of the NFL and the gambling situation that's going on. And, you kind of wanted to know who was going to be the player that was going to get in trouble, what players were going to be involved, because we did hear players that was plural with an S. And we go to the Indiana sporting guru, guru Kent Sterling, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Kent, how's it going, my friend? It's going good. How you doing, Corey? Man, absolutely blessed by the best. Thank you for joining us. And I tell you, you know, you hate to tell grown men what to do with their money. And I <laughs> personally, ha- I don't have a problem with athletes betting. Now, do a, you, you definitely shouldn't bet on your own sport. But if a, if a football player wants to place a wager on baseball or, or basketball, it's their money. I feel like they should be able to do so. But... The Colts, I don't know how they got caught up into this micro microscope by the NFL, but just multiple suspensions by Colts players. And now waived. So Isaiah Rogers, who was a starter last year at cornerback, and then Rashad Berry, uh, a defensive end who wasn't going to make the roster anyway. Both those guys suspended indefinitely, and as soon as they were suspended indefinitely, the Colts acted to waive both players. So they are now former Colts. Uh, and, and that's really a shame because what the Colts did in preparing for this season was trade Stephon Gilmore to the Cowboys for a fifth-round pick and give Stephon Gilmore a chance to maybe win something as a member of the Cowboys. Well, now they're kind of left without a cornerback or without a cornerback that's got meaningful experience, and that is never a recipe for success in the NFL. We'll see how that works out. Without question, I, it just makes you wonder, you know, how – they go about getting caught. Of course, here in the state of Alabama, especially Mobile, you, you, you have the, the, the big bright lights that were on Coach Bohannon at Alabama and his ultimately give, being fired for betting against his own team, apparently. But I know that the <laughs> NFL has definitely had rules and regulations placed in part to these rookies in the rookie symposium, giving them a list of the do's and don'ts that you better not even try. And one of the do's and don'ts it should be pretty self-evident. That's don't bet on your own sport. And another one 
because uh, these apps are very persnickety where it comes to like geolocating. And if you're in a team in the team building or on the team bus, and you get on one of these apps and you make a bet, it's going to be a red flag moment for you. The NFL is going to find out. There's a reporting mechanism that allows the NFL to find out. And then you got a problem, as both these guys do, and as uh, Pettit Foray also does with the Tennessee Titans. He's going to be out for six games. He didn't bet on football, didn't bet on the NFL, but he did bet, he did make a sports wager on an app while on team property, and that's a no-no. I And I'm with you. I don't understand what the difference is really between doing that. And, and you can't go into a sports book if you're an NFL player. But, uh, like, I've seen plenty of NFL players at craps tables throw huge amounts of money on the table, get a bunch of funny-colored chips that I can't afford to buy, <laughs> and go about the process of losing them. So there are lots of guys gambling. They just can't gamble on sports while on team property or gamble on the NFL at all. We're talking to Kent Sterling. Sterling in the morning in Bloomington. Kent, I got, I got to ask you this one. Uh, one of the reports that came out today about Isaiah Rogers gambling was that he had a $1,000 wager on a Colts running back who I assume was Jonathan Taylor's over under rushing yards for the week. Do we Do we know if he hit the bet? I don't know if he hit the bet. Jonathan did not have a great season. So it, it wasn't like that 1,800-yard season he had in 2021. He got hurt a little bit this this past year, missed some games, missed some, some carries that he would normally get. Uh, I don't know. You know, at least he wasn't betting on, like, his ability to go get a pick <laughs> or, how, like, the over-under on how many tackles he was going to be able to get at the very least, he was betting on somebody who was on the other side of the football. So uh, there is that. Not a mitigating circumstance, sadly, with the NFL, though. Without question, the Colts coming off a 4-12 and season. And, of course, they go into the NFL draft and OTAs just probably wrapped up for everyone across the NFL. But Anthony Richardson, what kind of difference maker has he already made within this Colts community? Because you see the number one overall pick, Bryce Young, you see that the Panthers have already handed him the full keys to the kingdom. And they've said, you're our number one. You're going to be taking the most reps in OTAs. You're going to be our day one starter. The same thing here, is it going to apply to Anthony? It didn't in OTAs. Uh, Gardner Minshew got the first team reps. So Anthony Richardson is going to have to earn his way to that starting position, but he'll do it before the beginning of the season. He's going to start the opener on September 10th. I can't imagine a scenario other than injury where that's not going to happen. It's, it, they hired Shane Steichen and Jim Bob Cooter and Cam Turner as the quarterback's coach to come in and teach that kid the game of football as quickly as possible and develop a scheme that he's going to be able to master. It's going to be a simple scheme, but it's, it's going to be the one that is going to suit his athletic gifts. And I'm telling you, it, watching that kid at OTAs, like, you see him do things. When he sticks his foot in the ground and decides he's going to go in another direction, whoosh, he's gone. He is really athletic. He has a terrific arm. When he does things right below the waist with his hips and, and with his feet, he's on target and on time. 
He's got some sizzle to the ball a little bit. He gets it there on time and on target. And one thing that they're doing that I really, really like with him, and he, you can see him test himself. And so as, as they go seven on seven or as they go 11 on 11, and, and they're, you know, there's no contact, but they're running real routes, he's trying to pop it into windows, real tight windows to see what windows he can fit it into once they get to September 10th. He's making mistakes in OTAs. He's going to make mistakes in training camp. He'll make mistakes in preseason games, and those mistakes are going to inform his play once they get to the regular season. And I'm telling you, you have never seen a set of athletic tools on a quarterback like this ever in your life. If you saw Michael Vick, if you saw Randall Cunningham, whoever you've seen in the past, you know, you look at guys like Lamar Jackson or Jalen Hurts currently in the league, you've never seen this combination of size, speed, escapability within the pocket, and arm strength. It's just never existed. And all he's got to do is put that intellectual component to work and, and figure out how to play and adjust to the speed of the NFL. And when that happens, holy hell, he is going to be just awesome to watch. He is going to set this league absolutely on fire. It may take a year. It may take two years. But he is going to be a guy, if he maintains his health, you watch him play, and you're going to think, I've never seen this before. Kent, speaking of Shane Steichen, and I've actually become a believer in the hire. Maybe I wasn't at first, but I've been sold on it. I I am curious, and this is a complete hypothetical, but obviously things went very poorly for Frank Reich really over the last three years, but last year specifically. Would this gambling thing... If things hadn't gone poorly for him and the Colts were, you know, performing okay at least, would this have been a situation where he would have been in some trouble, you know, even if he was performing well as a head coach? Steichen? No, no. Like, let's say Frank Reich. This all happened under Frank Reich's watch and the team was winning games. You know, it was really clear in the locker facility that Frank Reich's brand of leadership had kind of run its course. He is a really, really nice human being, but he's more a pastor than he is a football coach. And and that works for a little bit. And it worked in 2018 when he had Andrew Luck as his quarterback, and people were just kind of tired of Chuck Pagano. Wright came in, and it was a breath of fresh air. And, and so the team wound up doing pretty well, won a playoff game. And then year after year after year, it was clearly not vibing with the guys. And and a lot of the guys on this team had kind of turned away from Frank Reich as a leader. And and I kind of get it. I I don't understand firing in midseason. I don't think that did anything to help the situation and bringing in Jeff Saturday. But he, you know, Larry Bird always said about basketball that a head coach in the NBA has got three years. He got three years where people are listening to you, and then they tune you out. And that was absolutely true with Frank Reich. Frank Reich had three years where people listened to something that he said, and then they absolutely turned it, tuned him out, and you could see it happen. And when, it, when that happens, there's no putting those horses back in the barn. And, and Reich really needed to go. And now you've got a guy in Steichen who's all about accountability, And he'll kind of get into you a little bit about not doing things correctly in a very, very specific way. He's holding people accountable in a way that Reich didn't. And you can tell by the comments of the players. As you talk to the players and you're like, what's different about Steichen? Oh, it's accountability. That's the first thing that they say in in what they're saying. 
is that there wasn't any with Frank Reich, and now there is some with Shane Steichen. Kent, we got about a minute left with you. Were there any other rookies who came into OTAs who really stood out and, and really have an opportunity to probably be day one starters in the National Football League? You know, I thought Josh Downs looked good in rookie minicamp before he kind of hurt his foot. And so he was he was inactive for the OTAs. But I think if he can get the foot right, he's got a chance to be pretty good rookie wide receiver out of North Carolina. And then there was a fifth-round pick that actually the pick that they uh, got in return for Stephon Gilmore from the Cowboys, they took a guy named Evan Hull. And I don't know what it is, but my eyes continually go to him during running back workouts, and I think, that's a guy. You know, you get that feeling about a guy. I think Evan Hall might be like a third running back that they feel really good about coming out of the backfield and catching some footballs. That's great to hear. And, and, and Kent, it, it is unfortunate that these players were suspended for the Colts. And you, you kind of had the rumbling that, that something was going to go down here with the Colts, just not quite sure who it was going to be. And there's, like I say, so far within the NFL this season, nine total players have been implicated, whether they are indefinitely suspended or for a certain amount of game. So it's it's one of those unfortunate situations. And I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to keep us updated and posted on those suspensions. And how can people follow all of your great coverage there, not only in Bloomington, Indiana, but just in general of things that are going on within the state of Indiana? Go to YouTube and search Kent Sterling. I do two videos every day. They're 15 minutes. They're fun. They're light. They're informational. I, I would dare say they're insightful. And so if you like Indiana sports, you're going to love that. Absolutely fantastic. You have a wonderful weekend and a great 4th of July. And as we crank back up in about a month from now, get started with official practice in the NFL. Can't wait to talk to you again. I'm here for you, Corey. Thanks very much. Appreciate you. Kent Sterling joining us this afternoon here on The Final Drive. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Joe Godfrey. I'm a big fan of 105.5 WNSP Sports. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And Michael Bronner, Alabama continues to add to its 2024 recruiting class as another member from Central of Phoenix City, a defensive lineman. Molafaha Faga commits to the Crimson Tide. And I think that, you know, being from Utah and having the roots that he does, I think that anytime Alabama can continue to put up fences around the state of Alabama, even though it's a 2024 recruit, it's very impressive. Yeah, you always uh, you always love to see a flip this time of year and you take him from Utah and keep him at home. So always a good headline to read. Yeah, and, and it's not only that with the Crimson Tide. You also have, you know, Kurt Herbstreet kind of showing and telling a little bit about how much he does love the way that Nick Saban runs things and does things in Tuscaloosa. And I know next hour we'll play that audio from when he spoke 
with Roger Hoover for the Alabama Crimson Tide Sports Network. But, you know, no surprise there and, and does a wonderful job, you know, just staying neutral in his game calling, whether it's Ohio State and him being a graduate there and whether you know in his, where his son plays or whether it's with his love for Nick Saban and the Crimson Tides coaching staff. You, you just you would never know that in his broadcast because to me it doesn't sound biased one way or the other. Sure, I mean, I'll have, to, I'll have to go back and listen to that. I hadn't heard, but, you know, I know Herb Street's been kind of doubling down on believing that Alabama's going to win the national championship. So he's really uh, zagging while everyone is zigging. So we'll see. You well, know, it's, it's, it's a good take to have this time of year. You know, being all in, it, it, it's real important as far as where he feels and, and having a good take, especially with how he approaches covering collegiate football and I think that you know you can't argue with anyone who covers college football if you don't think Nick Saban is the GOAT whether you like Alabama or not you you can go back and look at his success at LSU you can go back and look at his success also at Michigan State you just you can't argue with that at all and I know that look forward to hearing those comments that he did share with Roger Hoover next year. South Alabama continues to rack up from a 2024 recruitment standpoint as well as Pelham High School's linebacker Will Felton becomes one of the latest 2024 verbal commits and also had offers from Alabama State, Richmond, North Alabama. But when when you feel that it's home, you feel that it's home. And South Alabama now has 10 verbal commitments for 2024. And those have really been coming here within the last two weeks. And you're, you're looking at a cupboard that's not going to be bare for Kane Womack in 2024 or 2025 moving forward, especially if he's able to have another successful 10-win season. I think they'll there'll be a lot more flips and commits coming to play for the South Alabama Jaguars. Yeah, what's the uh, what's the easiest way to recruit is to win football games and, and showcase that you're a program that people want to play for. I mean, we, well, who was it uh, Doug Conkle who said it the other day? I mean, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, these coaches in Mobile didn't have a, a – pro- there wasn't a – you know, a, a decent program in Mobile that they'd want to send their kids to. And Kane Walmack has kind of flipped that narrative around. And when, when he said he was going to bring in five Mobile kids a year, it didn't seem likely or possible at first. And, you know, heck, now it might be more. So, uh, you know, we certainly will continue to monitor that. Well, what we're also going to monitor is there's a kind of a little celebrity golf challenge that's going on. You, you have Kelsey that's involved oh the match yeah the match and if i'm not mistaken the match will start tonight and you'll have an opportunity kelsey and mahomes yeah who are they taking on um i want to say there may be a little basketball combination going on so we'll definitely a good golfer we'll have to take a look at at the match that's coming up for sure and here in the four o'clock hour of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Lindsey Crosby will be joining us and always enjoy wrapping up 
with Lindsay. The final drive will be right back after these messages. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Brunner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you this Thursday afternoon. And, of course, we wrapped up the College World Series with LSU winning the national championship, their first since 2009. And, of course, we love to welcome in our big baseball guy, Lindsey Crosby, of course, editor-in-chief of the Braves today. And he also chimes in on the National Collegiate Baseball Writers Association. Lindsey, good afternoon. And, of course, always welcome to the final drive. Always glad to be here, Corey. Thanks for having me. Lindsey, any doubt at all that LSU was going to go ahead and was there any doubt in your mind, rather, that LSU was going to give up 24 runs one day and within 24 hours go ahead and score 18 to win another College World Series. I have to admit, late in game two, when that score hit 20 runs, I was thinking, did Florida figure something out or did LSU throw in the towel on this one? And it's kind of obvious to me that LSU went ahead and said, you know what? We're going to save our guys. We're going to, we're going to regroup and go out there and win, and win a championship. And they did. And I think knowing that you had Paul Skeens available to pit him did something for a lot of the LSU pitchers. It gave them the, the ability to more freely not be as, and not try to be as precise because if they got into trouble, you've got Paul Skeens behind you and he can come in and clean it up. And so the, the turnaround in the pitching from game two to game three was amazing, but it was a fantastic college world series all the way through. Every game was incredibly entertaining. It was even entertaining watching 20 something runs go up in game two and then 18 in game three. The ESPN's most watched college world series game ever. And the second Largest baseball audience only trailing earlier in the year, the U.S.-Japan World Baseball Classic Final. It was just great baseball that, were you surprised, I, I asked someone earlier this week, were you surprised that no other, I know that being a writer yourself, that no other players from any other team were nominated for all-tournament teams? 
I mean, we, we you typically see things like that when you have uh, two teams that go as deep as they went and play as many games as they did, as well as have such high-profile names. It was a, it was a little surprising that you didn't find a guy or two here or there, but a lot of your bigger name guys, maybe with the exception of some of Wake Forest guys, for the most part, a lot of your other big names, your Kyle Teal from Virginia and things like that, they all got knocked out pretty early. And a lot of that voting is kind of a popularity. What have you done for me lately? And since so many of those players, you had some pretty prominent and Cruz and a Wyatt Langford, things like that in the final. So I, I do wish you'd have recognized some of the pitchers that we saw. Rhett Lauder, for instance, probably deserved one of the best pitchers of the tournament. But ultimately, I understand. I don't love it. I, I see why it happened. Well, in this situation to where we see what happened with LSU winning another national championship, I know that they started the season number one, and of course they ended the season number one. What is it about the dominance of SEC baseball? I mean, you you have and to not have consecutive national champions, to have a different national champion every single year, are the volunteers the next team that are going to be able to crack that and continue the streak next year? So Tennessee's losing quite a bit. I'm not sure. It it kind of depends on how they reload, right? But I think to answer the ultimate question, it's it's something where in the SEC, and specifically the SEC West, you play so many very good teams every single year that you're not surprised by anything that you face when you get to Omaha. You're not surprised by a pitcher with great velocity or great breaking stuff. You're not surprised by two or three hitters in the middle of a lineup that can take you deep on any mistake because you see that every single weekend. And I can remember, you know, covering Auburn, I remember listening to Butch Thompson and he was kind of reminiscing towards the end of the season and talking about, I feel like every weekend I sat here and I said, here are these two or three hitters in the middle of the lineup we're worried about. Here are these three pitchers that can all shove and just have great velocity that we're worried about. And he's like, it's just like that every single week in the SEC. But it makes us better because when we face somebody from outside of the conference, there's almost no way to intimidate us because we've seen what you do before. And we've seen teams that are better than you. And I think that's the ultimate story. All the SEC West teams, they, they play each other. They play at such a high level that it's almost, it's almost surprising when they lose in Omaha, especially to a non SEC school. It's like, really? You, you, you've made it through the West and then you lost to a Stanford or a TCU. I just think that's really interesting, kind of the dynamic of how that works. And I'm hoping instead of Tennessee next year, I'm hoping it's Auburn. A little selfishly, I want to go to Omaha. Nothing wrong with having an opportunity (laughs) to go to Omaha there. And as we kind of close the book and close the chapter on college baseball for this season, again, the dominance of the SEC is evident. And, of course, the opportunity for LSU and the way that they did it on the brink of elimination several times here late in this postseason. You you really thought that the LSU Tigers really had the best of them. And again, knocking off number one, Florida or Wake Forest and number two, Florida and becoming the national champions. Coach Johnson did a phenomenal job and you can see why as far as all the Major League Baseball draft prospects on that roster, why they ultimately did win the national championship. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a loaded roster. And the, the cool thing about that championship is you're going to see the number one, number two, and number three overall picks from that series, as well as a couple other guys that can all be first round in a, you know, a, whether it's a Hurston Waldrop or a Brandon Sprout pitchers for Florida, like there's just so much MLB talent on there. And it's the reason why the, the MLB draft is full of sec players and professional baseball is full of sec players because the, the talent level is so high, but there's somebody that Michael asked me about last week. That's not an sec player. And I want to give him an update. So if Michael's there, I want to tell him about what Anthony Volpe has been up to recently. Go right ahead. He's here. Yeah. So you asked me about the slow start that he had. And in the last 20 games for Yankee shortstop, Anthony Volpe, he's batting 281 with a 833 OPS. He's one of the best shortstops in baseball in the last you know, three weeks. And the turning point apparently was him having dinner with minor league teammate Austin Wells. They ate chicken parm together. And <laughs> apparently while they were talking, uh, Austin diagnosed an issue with his swing. Hey man, you look different at the plate than when we played together in the minors and they fixed it. So Michael, you should be campaigning to make Austin Wells a roving hitting instructor <laughs> for the Yankees instead of a prospect. Oh, Lindsay, I, I, I'm not a Yankee fan, but I am from New Jersey. A lot of my friends are Yankee fans, but I'm, I'm far sorry. I'm far from it. So, uh, you know, I, <laughs> rooting for Anthony Volpe to have success is not something that's on my plate. <laughs> I can't I can't begrudge anybody if they, you know, say they're a Yankees fan in public. It's kind of a hard thing hard thing to admit to. We we know where your loyalties lie. We understand, Michael. You're you it's a safe place here with us. You're good. Uh, well, speaking of the Yankees, last night, I mean, for the fourth time in that franchise's history, you have a perfect game that's thrown. I mean, and I think that when you look at Domingo Armand, what he was able to accomplish after giving up 17 runs and being booed off of the mound in his last two starts as a Yankee and then getting in trouble for the, the substance of the foreign substance policy, a 10-game suspension early in the year. You, you don't you – just you, he's the most unlikeliest person that you would think to throw a perfect game in Major League Baseball. I'm thinking he's probably the only person that has both thrown a perfect game and gotten suspended by MLB in the same season. <laughs> like it's, it's wild to think about 15 earned runs on 15 hits and five and a third innings in his last two starts. Like that's all that he made it through. And then he goes out there, he has a perfect game in the ninth. He needs six pitches. He finishes with. So not only does he finish with a perfect game, but he comes in under a hundred pitches for a complete game. Like self is an achievement. Perfect is just fantastic. It's, Yes, it's like the third of for the Yankees or things like that. But the bigger thing is he went from, from having a terrible record to a perfect game. What happens now? Is this the thing that Domingo Herman needed to do to, to get back on track and be a member, a valuable member of this rotation? Cause he was, he was on the verge of losing a rotation spot. If you got some of these injured guys back when a Carlos Rodon came back, uh, you know, and some of these other injured pitchers, he may have been moved back, moved to the bullpen. 
So I'm assuming he stays now, but can he build on this and have a good rest of the season? That's the big question. Talking to Lindsey Crosby, Crosby Baseball on Twitter, our resident baseball expert. Lindsey, what could be the last college baseball question I ask you of the year? We're still going to have you, have you on every week to talk a little MLB, but did you expect, uh, obviously it was a blowout, so the question kind of became negligible, but did you expect Paul Skeens to pitch in game three? I thought that there was no way that they got out of that game without him pitching. It just, it made too much sense to me as far as the symbolism of this is a guy we brought in. It's a transfer and the, the ability to sell. This is what we are promoting. If you transfer to LSU, we will take you and make you into this. And to me, it would have been a very, like, I understand that the, the overuse arguments I overstand understand some of that stuff, but I just think I'm surprised they didn't take advantage of the opportunity to put him on the mound and let him throw that ninth inning just so they could have the moment in recruiting saying, Hey, this is what we can do. If you transfer to LSU and we see right now, every single uh, big name in the portal, LSU is the favorite to land all of these guys. It just, it made too much sense to me. And then they didn't do it. It was a surprisingly conservative choice from a coach that is not afraid to take his arms and just throw them and throw them and throw them. I was a bit stunned simply because I thought if nothing else, they'll bring him in for the ninth, just so he can throw the final pitch. Well, Lindsay, we always love to ask you about the Atlanta Braves and how they're going to continue to play when they start this series with the Miami Marlins, the Miami Marlins seven and three in their last 10 games, but Atlanta's nine and one and continues to play red hot baseball. This has been one of the hottest teams in all of baseball in the month of June. Like Atlanta has 55 home runs. The next closest team is the angels with 40 at something where they've been in, like just nuclear in the month of June, but all year it all comes back to first inning offense for the Braves. Uh, they have 25 home runs in the first inning leads baseball, a plus 51 run differential in the first inning leads all of baseball by far. And it's just, that's the story of these Atlanta Braves is they come at you early and often they get a lead and then they hold it. And looking at that twins game, it was blowing my mind how Joe Ryan at one point had given up five home runs and had gotten four outs. It's just, he's a good pitcher having a very good year and Atlanta could make him look ridiculous. And so this weekend against Miami, this is the Braves first real chance to build space in the division. They've been, you know, cause like you said, the, the, the Marlins have won seven of their last 10, but every game you win against them this weekend, you move up two games in the standings. This is all uh, Atlanta's first chance to really push that divisional lead and almost make the NL East a done deal as we head into the all-star break. Well, as we get ready for the all-star break, you're always our major league baseball all-star Lindsay. And how can people follow all of your phenomenal MLB coverage along with your college baseball coverage, along with your Auburn coverage? Thank you. I'm on Twitter at Crosby baseball. The, the college baseball coverage, auburndaily.com, the minor league coverage locked in MLB prospects, doing a lot of draft talk right now. We're going live for the draft on that Sunday night. And then professional baseball, bravestoday.com. Appreciate it so much, Lindsay. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks, Corey. Lindsay Crosby joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll return right after this.
War Eagle, this is Butch Thompson, head baseball coach at Auburn University. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And before we went to break, we, we were mentioning a little bit about the match that's going to be played tonight on TNT. And anytime you have professional athletes outside of their realm, you have NBA players who, who feel like they're professional golfers. You have professional golfers who feel that they're better NASCAR drivers and, and vice versa. But tonight, the match takes place. It's the eighth edition, and you have Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs taking on Steph Curry and Klay Thompson of the Golden State Warriors. It's going to be at the Wynn Golf Club Resort in Las Vegas. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Curry both have competed in this before. But when you go to an all-NBA format versus an all-NFL format, 12-hole match, and it's a scramble format. And, of course, you've had in the past, you've had Josh Allen, to be paired with Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers also have played on teams, but I don't know why it is that, that you do have a lot of professional sports athletes such as Michael Jordan. He had a passion for golf, has a passion for golf and, you know, feels like, all right, he also had a passion for major league baseball too, but that didn't really work out for him you can see why he stuck to it but I think one of the best things that I've ever seen in the match was when you have Peyton Manning and Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley back in COVID year of 2020 that that when you had those guys mic'd up it was hilarious so so what teams or pairs would love to hear from you guys in the app what team would you love to see team up and, and play in a match of golf? If you had to pick any type of sporting partners and what you love to see is, is to see enemies to play against one another. And I think that you can see people who don't get along on the floor. I would love to see Jordan Poole and Draymond Green team up on a golf match against anybody because I think that it would be pretty pretty funny to watch you you still would love to see Charles Barkley mic'd up with Shaquille O'Neal playing against anyone else from any other sport you can pick the opponent but as far as the match is concerned tonight on TNT I think it's going to make for very exciting golf and when you have Kelsey he's already one of those players that you you never know what he's going to say he can come unhinged at any point in time and I guarantee they're going to have to have the the delay button on Kelsey tonight when he swings it but as far as them executing their skills on a golf it's something that TNT really embraced because when it initially does was done in 2020 I know that everybody was all in for it especially with COVID being around in 2020 but You've seen Curry 
be pretty successful as a as a golfer. But the Splash Brothers, I don't know how much noise they'll make tonight on the golf course. But I know Mahomes, you, you know what kind of competitor he is. Travis Kelsey is one of the biggest trash talkers. So you know he's going to be talking his trash and his swag as well. And, you know, while, while we're on the subject of, of talking a little bit about the two Splash Brothers playing basketball, Philadelphia and James Harden, he decided to pick up his $35.6 million player option for next season, according to Wojciechowski. And the Woj bomb drops, and he definitely says that that probably means that he's not going to be a Philadelphia 76er. And I, I just, when you're looking at James Harden, being a Philadelphia 76er, being a Brooklyn Net, being a Houston Rocket. You, you just don't know where James Harden is going to play. You don't know if he's going to go back to Houston. You don't know if he's going to sign with the Clippers. I, I think that by him deciding to opt in and work with the Philadelphia 76ers on a trade, I think that trading James Harden is definitely going to be good for Philadelphia, but can they make it? to the NBA Finals without him. And you have... They can't make it with him. That, that's true. I mean, and that's a, a known fact. But I guarantee, are the odds better for Philadelphia to win it with them than without him? Like, I guess, but it's almost at a point where they're not winning it with them. It's a lot of money. So, like, you know, it might just be time to blow it up. I don't know. 76ers fans were upset enough after that Game 7 blowout that... Some of them were almost to the point of just trade Embiid and blow the whole thing up. I mean, you fire Doc, you know, it's it's a new era. I understand, like, the, the desire to, all right, like, let's keep Harden and keep Embiid. We got Nick Nurse now. Let's let's see if he can maximize some talent here. But I don't know, man. They're not winning a title with the core as currently constructed. I don't know how much you're getting for Harden. I'm not advocating trading Embiid, but I I don't think that oh, there's team no is way. ever winning a title. In Embiid is not even in the discussion. Yeah, at all. No, that I was mean, more so just an angry Sixers fans on Twitter thing. But but I mean, does Harden going to the Clippers help anybody? Does, <laughs> does it? I mean, it probably helps James Harden. Sure. Wallet, but as far as making the Clippers a contender by adding James Harden, I don't see that by him staying a Philadelphia 76er. I don't think that that will continue to be the case because you've already fired their the coach, Doc Rivers. You've gotten rid of him. I, bringing in new blood and a new coach, to me, doesn't make them a contender. But the amount of money that James Harden can make, that that's just that's what that's what's amazing to me. It really is. And <sighs> for him to go ahead and decide to pick up his $35.6 million player option. I'd probably pick it up, too. Must be nice to have those type of choices if you're James Harden. And it kind of puts Philadelphia in the situation, all right, well, if you don't want to be here, what can we get for you? I mean, he's no spring chicken at 34 years of age. I've got a $26 million producer option next month. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about I'm, – I haven't decided <laughs> if I'm picking it up yet you, or not. You have to work on that. The, the negotiations <laughs> – 
my my, my agent's going to, uh, you know, talk to management, and we're going to see what we can well, do. Well, if that's the case, how many hours are you averaging on the job? Because Harden averaged only 21 <laughs> points and six rebounds this season. I'm averaging a, uh, a highly rated three-hour broadcast a day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so you're going to opt in off of that? I, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. It might not be enough. I, I might have to test, test the water. All right, so <laughs> I, I will say this. You say it's not enough, and it's funny that you mentioned uh. about not being enough. Here it is. Vanna White feels the same way. Yeah. She feels like you do. You know, she said, look, if you want me to keep turning letters on the Wheel of Fortune, man, you got to give me at least half of what Pat Sajak was making. There were people in the app saying, like, you know, you st they still watch Wheel of Fortune every day. And, uh, you know, m maybe it's just a little uh, – maybe my generation missed Wheel of Fortune. I don't know anyone who watches <laughs> Wheel of Fortune. I, I mean – Brother, you you missed the boat on I, that. Fair one. enough. I, I'm not trying to make this a young versus old thing. I You know, I just I, – I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, my cable in my apartment usually doesn't even work. <laughs> and if it, if it is working, I'm just flipping on ESPN. I'm not coming home from work and watching Wheel of Fortune. But, you know, if more power to you if that's, uh, if that's your choice of television for the Hadn't night. Hadn't gotten a pay increase – in goodness knows when and she said look if pat can make 15 million a year she's not asking for that much money but she definitely can. wants will of fortune to show her the money some <laughs> contestants on the show probably have made more money on the show than what vanna white makes sure and, and that just yeah, she's not happy about that and to me with pat sajak leaving it's one of those situations to where you you really want Vanna White to be on on Wheel of Fortune because she is one if not the glue to that show. You take Pat Sajak away, just pay Vanna White, pay her, she, pay her. She's worth it. She she's paid her dues. Bronner said he's paid his dues as well. <laughs> not quite sure if James Harden has paid his, but he's going to get shown the money as well. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 will return. Travis Brown will join us to talk about what's going on in the state of Texas with the NIL and especially Ross Bjork, Texas A&M's athletic director, saying he's not going to follow what the NCAA tells him to do. The final drive coming right back. This is Reese Dismukes. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, we've talked a lot about NIL and the NCAA and state regulation over state laws regarding NIL deals. And one of the biggest things is the state of Texas allowing schools to provide benefits who donate to NIL funds and boosters can't recruit student athletes. We know that much, but wanted a, a, a better understanding, if at all possible, because there's so many question marks behind this entire situation. And Ross Bjork, the athletic director at Texas A&M, is, is really standing his ground on what's going on with the different states breaking down new state bills that are being passed and wanted to reach out to Travis Brown, reporter for the Eagle covering Texas A&M athletics. Travis, welcome to the final drive, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. 
Travis, it's one of those situations to where anytime the athletic director stands firm and says, look, we're going to do what we've continued to do in regards to our NIL and putting those who donate in a better situation for themselves. Is that kind of where the state of Texas and the NCAA are butting heads on what can be done with NIL? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, you know, if you look across the country, you know, because the NCAA didn't come out and do NIL guidance early on, the states went ahead and started passing the laws in 2021. Well, Texas is in a uh, a, uh, a, a every two years legislative cycle, and so it's been two years since the first NIL law was passed in Texas. So they came back and updated the laws with guidance from the ADs across the state, and that goes into effect on Saturday. And um, one of the two of the big talking points from that new bill is the fact that they attempted to codify 501c3 NIL collectives as tax exempt and said that they can provide priority points and uh, different perks like that to their donors. Well, there, there's a problem with that to start out with, and that was uh, magnified by the fact that the IRS put out a memo uh, a couple weeks ago saying that, yeah, NIO collectives really shouldn't get exempt status because the, uh, the, the, the work that they do isn't really providing a charity to a uh, recognized charitable uh, group of people. The scope is too narrow, and the pri uh, private benefits that these players get um, aren't a byproduct of a greater charitable cause. So the IRS, what they put out, how they legislate things, how they deem things uh, as, as tax-exempt for um, federal income tax, that is the IRS's prerogative, and state laws can't really do anything about that. So that point has kind of become moot a little bit. And then there's another clause in the NIL bill the, the state put out that kind of that said, hey, anything that we put in this state bill, any outside third-party athletic governing body, the, for example, the NCAA, the SEC, any of the conferences, if they want to say, well, we want to we punish you for something that we've made a rule for, but it's, it's legal under the Texas law, they can't do that. Uh, and that's where the real standoff is, because the NCAA put out a memo that said, if you are a member organization and you voluntarily signed up to be a member organ, uh, uh, school, part of that signing up was saying that you were going to uh, – follow the rules of the NCAA, and that's part of your, your duties as a member. Uh, they also said that 501c3s, organizations that are deemed reasonably close to the athletic department, can't be doing NIL deals with players. And Ross Bjork came out and said, hey, we're going to follow the state law because that's what we put all of our, basket, our eggs in our basket, and we're going to do that. So where this goes, I don't know, because it depends on how much uh, – horns the NCAA thinks they have to be able to try to go in on this if it goes to court the NCAA hasn't been a, had a winning record in court lately <laughs> it's something that I know a lot of athletic directors and presidents are very happy about in regards to the NCAA not winning a lot of their cases but you know it's not just the state of Texas there are other states that are, are included within this same NIL bill deal and I think that when you start looking at all the states that are going to be effective, it just makes you wonder why the whole NIL collective wasn't discussed and thought about 
and guardrails in place so to where our football coaches don't have to go see our politicians in Washington, D.C. and lobby for regulation and legislation? Well, it's kind of a chicken or the egg argument because the, if the NCAA had come out and said that uh, student athletes can get NIL compensation, you know, a year before the state started passing laws, uh, there could have been someone who didn't like how that was run, filed a lawsuit, and then the NCAA could have lost again, and the states could have said, well, we're just going to take this over. It, you know, where this would have started, it, it, it's mind-numbing to think about how all that's going. The, the real course of the matter is they need a federal bill from, from the U.S. Congress that puts guidelines on not only uh, what is uh, can and can't be done in the NIL sphere, but also dictates what is the financial relationship between athletes and the universities that they play for. Are they employees? Are they, uh, quote-unquote, what, what, what is the amateur model now? Uh, once that gets defined, or if that ever gets defined in Congress, that will cause things to settle a little bit. But really, anything short of that still is going to create this kind of wild, wild west uh, atmosphere that we have. We're speaking with Travis Brown, reporter for the Eagle, covering Texas A&M athletics. And, of course, you know, here within the last week, uh, a tremendous loss for the Texas A&M football family. Terry Price is passes away, and I know that after he passes away, he had Auburn roots as well. It's just a, a, a sad loss for the Texas A&M football community. Yeah, you know, uh, he was a very beloved uh, coach around here, kind of made his name not only for the players that he produced, most notably Miles Garrett, uh, the uh, number one overall pick by the Cleveland Browns in 2017 that came out of A&M at defensive end. But uh, in a more lighthearted way, he was a master of the grill. And these, uh, these cookouts that he would have for his defensive linemen or they'd have kind of pool parties for recruits that he'd cook for were kind of things of – of legend around Aggieland and around A&M's fans. You know, you'd see the pictures and people would just be uh, uh, salivating, and, and he came to be known uh, by that. But from an Auburn perspective, you know, I got a good chance to talk with uh, former uh, Texas A&M head coach R.C. Slocum, who uh, Terry Price played for and also coached uh, alongside. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, R.C. said he'd had a conversation once, once with legendary Auburn coach uh, Pat Dye, and just kind of out of nowhere, Pat, I said, hey, you know that coach you have, that, that player that you had, uh, Terry Price? Man, he's one of the best there is out there. And he said that was always something that stuck out with him about um, how, how well-received and well-liked Terry Price was around the country. Um, so, yeah, it's been a good time. Followed Tommy Tuberville to Auburn, to Ole Miss, and then uh, to Auburn, and um, had, a, had a, lo a long career there as well, and uh, was just really beloved around the uh, SEC footprint. Texas A&M, again, along with the rest of the SEC, in divisionless football in 2024. And as the schedule was released, how what is the gauge in the field for all the Aggies football fans? We know what Jimbo is making and the requirements that they want him to win that national championship. Would divisionless football help Jimbo to do that? I think it will, because if you look at that schedule, there's two, uh, well, one major glaring omission and two that could have potentially been there, and that's 
there's no Georgia and there's no Alabama on that schedule in 2024. Uh, and that's, that makes things a lot easier for anybody in the SEC who's wanting to try to make a title game, try to make a run, uh, run at, at this thing. So I think that's uh, something that stuck out to everybody who's an A&M fan. I think from a media perspective, something that kind of made us all chuckle is one of the big talking points from SEC officials and from coaches about why they needed to go division list. Uh, and one of the examples they always used was the fact that Georgia has never come to Kyle Field. And, and since A&M came in 2012, the, the Bulldogs have never made a trip to Kyle Field. So we all kind of sat around thinking, okay, well, the Bulldogs are going to make a trip to Kyle Field. And then you look at that schedule and the Bulldogs are not making a trip to Kyle Field. And it kind of makes you just sit back and laugh because it's like, what are we making these arguments for? Now I get it. It, it, it is something that they needed to do, especially bringing in the two other schools. And uh, it'll be able to give them a little bit more flexibility with how they do their their schedules and, and uh, make things a little, little more parity for everybody. But it is just kind of funny that you're going to go another uh, two seasons and Georgia has not come to Kyle Field. Well, here in 2023, with the last chance of A&M being in the SEC West, I think that it's a tough haul for what Jimbo Fisher does have at stake. And, you know, you, you open up with New Mexico and then going on the road, being at Miami and having Louisiana Monroe and, and then Auburn. Talk a little bit about those opening four or five games and where Texas A&M can be sitting from a record standpoint. Sure. I mean, I think all eyes are going to be on the offense because you bring in Bobby Petrino and uh, Jimbo Fisher uh, hands over the keys to the offense and to see how that goes. I think I think really and truly, if you want to boil down how not only the beginning of the season, but really the whole season is going to go, it's going to come down to how well the, off, how, the improvements the offensive line has made. They really haven't necessarily bolstered it that much from the transfer portal uh, since spring and they had a lot of guys out in spring practice uh, uh, starters from the offensive line uh, due to injury and so how well that offensive line can gel is, is going to be um, really and truly what the the upside of this team is going to be in this next year I, I think I, I think Appalachian State last year was enough of a wake-up call that I don't think you're going to see a loss to a, a New Mexico to a um, uh, Louisiana, Monroe, any of those, because uh, I, I think there's enough players still on this team from last year that, that doesn't want to have that kind of uh, upset again. But that Miami game is definitely one to circle. Uh, uh, that is a game that A&M won last year. They're going uh, on the road for that one and uh, a little bit of a revenge factor. I think that's going to be a, a good ball game and a good lit litmus test for both of those programs early in the season. Well, I tell you what, Travis, let our listeners know how they can follow all the phenomenal coverage that you bring. And until the rules changes, we know that our state law here is going to govern that we do business with Travis Brown for sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I'm on Twitter at Travis underscore L underscore Brown. Uh, and then the Eagle.com has. Uh, all of our great work covering uh, covering the Aggies, and I'm sure that's going to get real fired up here soon uh, as Media Days is on the horizon. Absolutely. Look forward to hopefully 
getting with you in Nashville at SEC Media Days as we will be doing our final drive show there live and looking forward to catching up with you as information continues to come out by Ross Bjork. We know he's never one to run from the media and neither is one Jimbo Fisher. So we'll have plenty to talk about in Nashville as well. Travis Brown, have a great weekend and a great 4th of July. You got it. You too. Travis Brown joining us this afternoon here on the final drive. And we'll be right back. Hey, this is Jake Tilker, quarterback at Alabama. And when I'm listening to the radio, I'm listening to WNSB. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And of course, earlier we talked a little bit about one of the best college football announcers that is out there, Kurt Herbstreit, and what he had to say with the Crimson Tide Sports Network's Roger Hoover in regards to how he feels about Nick Saban and what Nick Saban does mean to Kurt Herbstreit. Just how he teaches me, you know, he's always been a teacher and just somebody like a mentor, really. Um, somebody that I really have always admired. And um, I'm, a, I'm an old school, <clears throat> kind of a disciplinarian myself. So I'm, I'm drawn to him. Um, you know, I think for fans, they, 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 you know, they're Alabama fans. They see him at a press spot or a press conference and he's standing there. And, but I see him so different. I, I see him, you know, as, as a friend. You know, I, I see him as a guy that I can talk to. If I'm having an issue in my life, He's one of the first people that I would probably call um, because of how much his words mean to me because he's not always going to tell you what you want to hear. He's going to tell you what he really thinks. And I'm, I'm just a big believer in wisdom and, and leaning on people like Nick Saban for advice and for guidance because they've been through so much in their life. So, yeah, there's the Nick Saban, the coach that we all bow down to. And then there's Nick Saban, the, the man uh, that I'm just – really uh, a big fan of so yeah he's he's probably my favorite coach that uh, I've ever had the chance to cover those the words of Kurt Herbstreet from ESPN slash ABC covering college football and you know I, I don't really think that you can argue with the fact that Nick Saban is the goat of college football and that's why you see businesses billion dollar businesses hire Nick Saban for speaking engagements. It's not to talk X's and O's. It's to talk about life and strategy and philosophy. And I thought that, you know, when you see Nick Saban and his recruits say, look, Coach Saban's going to coach till he croaks, I think that that just shows that the, the love that is shown and had by his upcoming players his current players, his former players, and now here's someone who covers college football. And when you listen to him call a game, there's nothing gushing about Kurt Herbstreet when he talks about Nick Saban because he's as critical about Nick Saban as any other broadcaster. But I thought that that was pretty a pretty neat aspect there for Kurt. 
Kurt Herbstreit to go ahead and share. Yeah, I always like to hear uh, Herb Street unfiltered. You know, it's always cool to hear an interview from these guys who are usually here in the booth or at, you know, a, a game day desk or whatever the case may be, you know, a little bit uh, less formal of a setting, and he's able to just, you know, talk about what he thinks about Nick Saban. And, you know, Nick Saban, the man, you know, he brought up a good point there. You know, he's a, uh, he has a lot to offer, not just as a football coach from an X's and O's perspective. He's one of the best leaders of all time. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why he's brought in by these companies to uh to talk about you know that leadership role and you know Nick Saban has been able to adapt and change with the time I think that he's still the type of disciplinarian who you know what line you you're not going to be able to cross but at the same time Nick Saban is one of those coaches who does believe in second chances and he'll give you an opportunity to get back on the right path but for Kurt Herbstreit to say, look, I see him on a guy that I can talk to outside of football and X's and O's. I see him as one of the first people that I would call and to get words of wisdom. That just that just shows you that, you know, the respect that Nick Saban has, not only from an X and O standpoint, but from a life perspective. And there's so many of his former players that continue to say that about Nick Saban for certain. And we'll continue to talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Auburn Tigers in the 5 o'clock hour of our Tide and Tiger Report. Don't want to miss Brett Greenberg making his debut here on the final drive and the Tide and Tiger Report talking about Alabama and what's going on in the recruiting as well as their upcoming schedule. Brian Stoltz will be co covering the Auburn Tigers. All that next on the Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. Tiger Report on 105.5 FM WNSP. An hour of the latest news and reports from the Plains and the Capstone with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker and Dr. Chris Walton of Premier Medical Eye Group. Streaming live on the Sound of Mobile app, here are Corey and Michael. Welcome to our number three of the final drive. Of course, that means it's time for our Tide and Tiger Report this Thursday. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you this Thursday evening. And, of course, for our Tide portion of our Tide and Tiger Report, we wanted someone to make their debut, and that someone is former digital producer, at WKRG, currently recruiting reporter for Alabama 24-7, Brett Greenberg joins us. Brett, how are you doing this afternoon, my friend? I'm doing great, Corey. I'm pumped. I really appreciate you having me on. And like you said, excited to make my debut. Absolutely. And I, I hope you're staying cool, man, because th this, this heat is pretty brutal. And it's been heating up on Alabama on the recruiting trail. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually, I'm actually in Atlanta 
now and talking with a bunch of other beat writers today and they were talking about the heat and I just kind of laughed at myself and said <laughs> kind of happy I'm not in Mobile right now because I've been seeing all the heat advisories but you know it's all been good but like you said it's heating up on the Alabama trail kind of a slower June in terms of Alabama fans uh perspective but you know it's kind of a yearly trend that I'm seeing that you know at this time Bama might not be in that top 10 of the classes and all that type of stuff but you know they got a flip from Utah and Isaiah Faga yesterday and got a couple more Bama targets set to commit tomorrow and into the weekend and uh, I think you know come a week from now there's going to be a couple more uh, commits and this class is going to start shooting up the I know, Brett, last week on campus, Alabama, for their official visits, had some pretty impressive recruits on campus that they were trying to flip that were currently had verbally committed to Georgia. And if you're able to flip those four- and five-star type of athletes away from Georgia and get them to to be a part of what Nick Saban's trying to do, and I, I, I always say that even with the student athletes who come into WNSP studios on Wednesdays for Mobile's Finest. There's no better recruiter than that student athlete. And I know once these athletes make their official visits together, they're their biggest cheerleaders, especially those who have already solid commits to Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of hit it right there. Um, you know, today Alabama had a major recruiting weekend, probably the biggest recruiting weekend of the summer and it uh, kind of timed up with right before the dead period. You had the five-star Ellis Robinson, who's a Georgia commit. You had a four-star in Peyton Woodyard, who's a Georgia commit, and a couple other Georgia guys who talked about it. You've seen on Twitter that Buford to Alabama connection. You know, and talking to these guys, it's all kind of the same message. It's Bama speaks for itself. And talking with Nick Saban that he doesn't really need to sell himself on the football aspect of it. But, you know, I'm talking with a couple – commits as of now and five-star Jalen Mimbakwe, who's an Alabama guy, he's telling me he's in these guys' ears every day. Hey, come to Bama. Come be great. You're going to have the best coaches. You're going to have the best uh, development and chance to go to the NFL. So absolutely, Corey, you know, these guys are 17, 18 years old, and they can relate to these other 17 and 18-year-olds. So it's been pretty cool to see. You know, I'm in my first couple weeks recruiting, covering recruiting, so I'm still learning as I go, but these guys have just been great, very respect, respectful, receptive, and I'm, I'm learning a lot, and I'm seeing how the recruiting really goes on in, in the inside. We're speaking of Brett Greenberg on the Tide portion of the Tide and Tiger Report, now covering recruiting for Bama 24-7. Brett, I want to ask you about a guy that a lot of people have been talking about, and for good reason, Julian Sayan, obviously MVP of the Elite 11 camp. And, you know, can he come in and, and, and be that starter freshman year? I, I mean, it's it, I guess a lot of it just depends on what the quarterback situation is this season. Yes, sir, absolutely, and it's funny. Today, the 247 released its updated recruiting rankings, and a lot of Alabama took a big sigh of relief. Alabama fans took a big sigh of relief because he got that fifth star um, for the 247 rankings, and people have been wanting that forever. You know, I can't speak of four-star or five-star, stuff like that, but, you know, I was talking with a couple 247 national analysts, and he's, he's you know, a kind of combination of these past successful quarterbacks you see in Alabama, right? with Mac Jones being the pocket passer, and you have Bryce Young, who can get out on the run. Um, Cooper Pitanga, who's in 247 Sports, kind of described him as a hybrid between Bryce Young and Mac Jones. And if you're an Alabama fan, 
that seems to be a pretty good comparison. Um, I do think he's a guy that can come in and compete immediately. I mean, you talked about it there. He lit up the Elite 11. He was the MVP. He was the talk of the town. I mean, that guy can really make every throw. And what's interesting to me and what I try to learn well as well is who is the guy off the football field? Is he that leader? Is he going to be in that weight room? And these national analysts all kind of saying the same thing to me. He is Bryce Young 2.0 in terms of his mind and how he's attacked. And he demands respect and he gets respect from his teammates. So, like you said, yeah, I think this is a guy that can come into Tuscaloosa, succeed greatly in Tommy Rees. I mean, they've got a great relationship. And what Tommy Rees is trying to do and his scheming fits well with Julian Sands. I don't, I don't want to say Sands a throwback type of guy, but he's definitely a guy where you're going to run a two tight end set. You're going to do some play action passes and take, you know, shots downfield. And he's not going to make mistakes. He's going to, you know, take care of the football. He seems to be very mature beyond his years. And that's something that Alabama fans should be excited for. You mentioned as far as a big time weekend, a, a week ago on the campus for official visits. And I know that, Four- and five-star athletes will continue to make their decision here as the summer unfolds. And one of those is is big offensive lineman Daniel Calhoun, and he's ranked as the number six offensive tackle. He says he's going to go ahead and verbally announce where he wants to attend on July 5th. But you're 6'6", 355, and Texas, Georgia, Tennessee, and Auburn want you. I think it's just a way to continue to solidify that star-studded quarterback that is going to become the Tuscaloosa in 2024. Yeah, absolutely. I actually was at a padded camp today in the state of Georgia. Padded camps were allowed to be done today. Um, maybe not the smart decision with it being 98 degrees outside on the turf, but that's beyond the point. Um, he is all of that 6'6", 360-pound frame. I mean, he's got like a 7-foot wingspan, if not greater, and that dude, man, he's just a mauler. He finishes. He takes care of business. He's going to protect that blind side. Um, and, yeah, I was able to confirm he's going to be able to commit or he's going to be verbally committed July 5th. Um, and the Auburns, the Alabama, the Texas, the Tennessee, and all the, and the Georgia are very high on this guy. Um, he, he's one of those guys where it's kind of tough to gauge. I think he does know where he wants to go, but he's holding that close to his chest. Um, but one thing I found interesting in talking to him today was he's, first of all, he's very well-spoken. He knows exactly what he wants to say and how he wants to say it. But he's very big and keen on the development aspect. And Alabama, for one, produces NFL talent year in and year out, and certainly at the offensive line position. I mean, he talked about almost every year you get a left tackle going to the league, making millions of dollars. And that's something that he is big on, the development, and making sure you know he's his body's getting taken care of, and he has a great relationship with Coach Eric Walford, the offensive line coach. So, I mean, I can't really speak on who he's going to pick, but, you know, I think it's probably down between Alabama and Georgia. And you talk to the people in Athens, it's, oh, Calhoun's coming here, and you talk to the guys in Tuscaloosa, and, oh, Calhoun's coming here. So I think it's still up in the air. Again, I think he knows what he, where he's going. He's just kind of keeping it quiet for right now. But nonetheless, wherever he goes, I mean, he – He's a plug-and-play. He's, he's going to start his freshman year. Um, and, yeah, it would be great for the Julian Sands and the other quarterbacks that may be in Tuscaloosa to have that guy protect his blind side because that man is just – he was a man amongst boys today. It, it, was, it was crazy. Brett Greenberg, recruiting reporter for Bama 24-7. Brett, looking 
down here in our area, obviously, 6A state champion, Sarah Land Spartans. You already got, in my opinion, the best player in the 2020. A kid who could start for Alabama this year and Ryan Williams, at wide receiver. Uh, but his quarterback, K.J. Lacey, ended up committing to Texas just about a month ago. Now, we talked about, you know, these players being the best recruiters ultimately. You know, if one was going to flip the other, what would you see as more likely? K.J. flips Ryan to Texas or Ryan flips K.J. to Alabama? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think Ryan is as solid as ever as a recruiting standpoint to be at Alabama. So if I had to pick, I would say KJ is going to be in Alabama. But, you know, I've been hearing that, you know, one, Alabama is still very high on KJ and let's get him in. And Nick Saban, as you pin on it earlier, and that program is relentless when it, when it comes to recruiting and it speaks for itself. But KJ is a guy that Texas sought out. I mean, they, they – a staff member or two was in Saraland pretty much every Friday last year. So, and KJ, you know, he went on his visit, his unofficial visit, and committed on the spot. I mean, he seems pretty locked up over there. And I'm sure you guys saw it, but, you know, WKRG Sports Director Simone Eli actually had a great feature on the two, how they're, you know, horns up, horns down versus each other. And, and those two guys are just great. You know, they're probably the best quarterback wide receiver doing the country as rising juniors. I mean, those two are great. Sarah Land's in great hands. Um, but, yeah, if I had to pick one, I think Ryan's probably going to try to recruit KJ a little bit more. And if those two can get to the college level together with the experience and the camaraderie, it would be great for the Tide. And Brett Greenberg speaks from experience, folks, on the people and the players that come and the coaches that come here from the Mobile, Baldwin County area, being the former digital producer at WKRG and Next Star Media Group. I know, Brett, having a chance every Thursday and Friday night to see all the superstars that are lining up to go to Alabama, whether it's currently here, even a class of 2026, Six Anthony Tank Jones from St. Paul's goes on an unofficial visit and has been camping at Alabama and has been offered and shown a lot of love. Not only him, one of the biggest recruiters is Sterling Dixon Jr., another 2024 prospect who definitely has made no qualms about it, shut his recruiting down to go ahead and focus on next season in the University of Alabama. But what do you think makes South Alabama football here in Mobile and Baldwin County. Funny, I was talking to Anthony Jones recently about this and how he was able to pick up an offer, you know, a couple months ago, but he was back in Bama and there, you know, they told him, you're one of our five guys in this 2026 class we need to have. And he, you know, like any recruit would be, he was ecstatic about that. He, I, was, I said, you know, and you hit it right there. You got the Perry Thompsons, the Sterling Dixons, the KJs, the Josh Flowers, Bryce Kane, and all these other guys. He said, you know, we've been, he basically said, we've been doing this, man. Tough guys, they get out extreme heat. I mean, it's the hottest place I've ever been in my life. Um, <laughs> he says, you know, this, these classes are just not getting at, looked at as, you know, the Texas and the Floridas. And that makes a little bit of sense. But, you know, I've seen of late, these, there's, you know, there's a five-star and a four-star going to Alabama and Bryce Kane going to Auburn and Josh Flatt, Mississippi regions down there are just insane. And, and the class region one is probably the best I think I've ever covered, whether it be in Georgia, Alabama, it's, it's just unbelievable. The amount of talent that's come through there. And I, I, for one, it's with the coaching and, you know, it's also the facilities down there and the, 
opportunities they have and what's given to them. I mean, it, every school I go to pretty much has gotten great facilities. And you think about it this year with, you know, LaFleur, those guys, new stadiums, finally know all home. I think there's just a lot of pride and a sense of, yeah, sense of pride being from South Alabama. Let's get the respect we deserve, so to speak. Alabama getting ready to start the last season of division football here. And the Crimson Tide open up with Middle Tennessee on September 2nd. And, you know, people are looking forward to that huge September 9th showdown when Texas comes to Tuscaloosa and plays them under the Bryant-Denny lights. And it's kind of surprising that Alabama does have five quarterbacks currently on their roster. But, you know, you had to guess, or if we asked you who do you think will take that snap under center or be the quarterback that Nick Saban turns to, could you or would you be able to pick now? Yeah, see, I think that's one of the tougher position groups and starters to pick out of the entire country. And quite frankly, I think the Alabama coaching staff feels the same way. I mean, you look out on one hand, you've got the Jalen Milrow, who has been is as fast as anybody, as big as anybody. He's a little bit of question marks at the throwing position. You've got Ty Simpson, who's the five-star in-state guy. He can really throw the ball downfield, but doesn't have as much experience. You know, and you look at it, and there's a reason you bring in the Tyler Buckner. You know, is he just challenging for a spot? Is he going to be that starter? So, you know, I don't know if I could give you a straight answer. If I had to pick right now on the spot, I would say Milrow because I think he's going to add that extra layer to that offense. And I think, you know, Alabama's offense is going to look like the Alabama offense of a couple, you know, way back, not the throwing the ball downfield every every other play. You know, it's going to be run the football. They've got probably one of the better offensive lines in the SEC. They've got a great running back room. So I think it's going to be, you know, whoever's under center there is just take care of the football, do your job, and let that offense align those running back positions. And you bring in C.J. Dippery from Maryland as a tight end to be that safety blanket. And I think, you know, whoever gets in there, just do your job, take care of business, and we're going to win a lot of football games. The better question, Brett, if it's Milrow or whoever it is, week one, really week two is the decider against against Texas, is it the same quarterback, barring it, let's throw, you know, the injury hypothetical out, barring injury, is it the same quarterback that starts the Iron Bowl? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, I I I well, you know, looking at week one, I think you're gonna see probably three to four quarterbacks. Yeah. Unless someone really take care take care of business in the fall. But I think, you know, Nick Saban and Tommy Rees and Walford and all the offensive guys are gonna be going through it, seeing how they react on the field. I think Milrow, like I said, has a little bit of an advantage because he has a little bit more playing time. Um but there's no telling when it comes to the Iron Bowl three months down the road from the opening game and I, I i don't know if i could answer that but i will say the starter in middle tennessee will be the same starter at auburn oh well there you go i and i'm just curious because i mean i agree with you that milro has a little bit of leg up due to having playing experience but just in general like how does it factor in the fact that I mean, let's be honest, Milrose playing experience, it, it wasn't good. It nearly cost us the A&M game. It, I mean, he wasn't good for most of the game until until a nice run at the end against Arkansas. I mean, just in general, I, I'm, I'd be curious to know, like, how Nick Saban factors the fact, yeah, he has experience, but it wasn't good experience. Yeah, I mean, you hit on it right there. And like I said, I think this is one of the toughest 
position groups and starters to figure out. But And, again, you, there's a reason you bring in Buckner. And I, I, I don't know how much of a factor that plays in, but, you know, you can't really replicate. Whether it's good or bad, you can't replicate SEC experience, and I think that's a big factor and will probably be a big factor. And I don't want to speak to Nick Saban, you know, but probably a big factor in that, you know. Just get that experience, be under center, be under the SEC, under those lights. I think you just truly can't replicate that, good or bad. Well, one thing you do, and you do see, we mentioned it moments ago, is, is all the recruits and the, and the friendships and the relationships that they do create, whether it's in competitions or whether it's traveling around the country on all their unofficial and official visits. And the bond that Jalen Waddell and Najee Harris have created and being at Nike World Headquarters in Beaverton, yes, Oregon, and, and shooting some hoops with one another at Nike Headquarters, that, that's a pretty interesting Alabama pair playing together on the basketball court. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that just kind of speaks to what all these recruits are talking about, too. It's the, the way Alabama is able to produce these NFL guys that go on to be good friends and you know, you, you you hear it all the time. It was Devontae Smith, I think it was last year, and it was, why are you never satisfied? And why is Jalen Hurts never satisfied? And he always says, it's Bama. I mean, I think it's just the way Alabama puts these guys, you know, instills these work into these guys. They all want to be the best. They all are <laughs> pretty, you know, up there. And, and there's so many guys on every position group in the NFL, and that's a big point of emphasis in a lot of these conversations with recruits. And they know, I mean, it's a proven track record. A lot of them bring up, you know, they have whatever, 57 draft picks or whatever it may be. I, it's just a proven track record. And I think that certainly helps Alabama a lot. Well, what also helps Alabama is, again, we're getting ready next year to, to graduate the class of 2024. And you have Julian saying already, that has been one of the biggest cheerleaders for the Alabama Crimson Tide football program. But now Alabama, again, already looks ahead to the next five-star quarterback in Bryce Underwood. And Bryce Underwood gets a little love shown by Jameson Williams. And that's something that goes a lifetime for from an experience standpoint to where you can say, look, even though he's Williams is a one-year player at Alabama, what Alabama meant to him and continues to do for him also. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and Jameson said it time and time again, and it's, it's a little animosity for some reason between him and Ohio State. I don't know how that all went down. I can't speak to that at all. But he is Bama through and through, and he's clearly and, – and I don't know if he's throwing with Bryce to – talking about Alabama, but it certainly helps Alabama for to have a, you know, Alabama legend, so to speak, be in this guy's ear, and I'm sure he's asking him questions and he's giving to him straight and stuff like that, and I talked to recruits about it, too. A lot of them have great relationships with current players, because you can really get some insight of the program, how the workouts are going to be, what are the do's and don'ts, how does Nick Saban run his program, how does he not run his program? So to have that ability to have one of your top 2025 targets and the top player top quarterback in the country be able to work out with an Alabama alum it's just another plus for the Crimson Tide well there there's always pluses for the Crimson Tide because even if you look to a rising ninth grader and Trent Seaborn they go out to the Foley seven on seven tournament and they win it 
today. Mark Freeman wins another championship, even though he values blue maps a lot more. But uh, a rising ninth grader has been offered by the Alabama Crimson Tide, too. So uh, always looking ahead is Nick Saban and truly meaning, look, he, he, he will coach till he croaks because that's what he loves to do. Yes, sir, absolutely. And Trent Seaborn, man, I, you know, I've, you guys all seen it. He kind of took nas- the national stage after his performance. And I remember sitting there in the WKRG newsroom and this kid's an eighth grader. Like, come on now. He's 11 to 13. He's got five touchdowns. And I spoke with him and, you know, it's, it's funny. He's kind of got a unique relationship with the Crimson Tide. His quarterback coach since he's been six years old is Galu Tonga Viola, who is, you know, to his father. And so, obviously, that's another extension of the Alabama Crimson Tide to speak to him, get the insight. And Trent, man, for being a rising ninth grader, was just unbelievable, so respectful, great kid, knows what he needs to do and understands that he got the offer and it's a dream offer and stuff like that, but he's got plenty of work to do. But, yeah, I mean, it seems like Thompson's been – Wherever, whatever seven on seven they go, they win. I mean, I see the Mark Freeman tweet at seemingly every other couple of days, another championship. So, it's, I mean, that team's going to be a powerhouse for sure. But, you know, there's there's a lot of teams down the south that are going to be great. I think Saraland has a chance to repeat. You know, 6 days very tough, but Saraland's got everybody back. And, you know, I kind of talk about a guy, you know, obviously you got Ryan Williams and you got K.J. Lacey, but a guy who maybe not get as much love just because of the stars and stuff is, Dante McWilliams Jr. I mean, that running back is as good as it gets. You know, he may not have the size for the SEC as of right now, but he's still mature and he's still young. But I saw some stat the other day that he's had whatever amount of carries and hasn't fumbled the ball. I mean, Sarah Lane's just in a great spot. That guy's a great dude. I've spoken with him, too. But there's a lot of talent down there for sure. Absolutely. And the last one for Sarah Lane, too, Alabama offer Antonio Coleman on the defensive side of the football. So it, it just – the, the cupboard's definitely not bare for Jeff Kelly as he has so many young Division One high-profile prospects who have been offered by Alabama, and there'll probably be, be more to come. And, Brett, we, we look at Alabama's schedule, and our last question to you is, Michael Bronner and I both think that a two-loss Alabama team this year can make it into – college football's playoffs uh, it is provided the losses to texas and they win the sec championship got to qualify that uh, and, and i i agree in that aspect of it but your thoughts on a two-loss alabama team and the scenario that michael Bronner just gave yeah absolutely i mean i think it's, it's easy to talk about it now but you got to kind of look at what the rest of the country looks like right you know with with it being the last four last time it's going to be a 14 playoff granted you know next year when it's the 12 Bama could probably lose three games and still get it I mean the SEC is going to have four probably four teams in there every single year but this year in particular you know I it's it's hard for me to say now just because you got to look at what's going to be going out west is USC going to be as good as they are and as Ohio State and as a Georgia but what what I found this year that's kind of unique to me and I feel like it's the first time in a lot of seasons is you have the Georgia, you have the Alabama, and the Ohio State who don't have maybe a proven quarterback. So, it, you know, you have the Carson Beck, but he doesn't have much experience. And we talked about Alabama and Ohio State still has question marks. So, you know, it's these top perennial powers that don't have a lead signal caller with a lot of experience. So I think this year's is going to be pretty wide open, so to speak. 
Brent, can't thank you enough for your time this evening here on the final drives. Tide and Tiger report. And how can everyone follow all of your phenomenal coverage and all of the great recruits that you have covered for sure in regards to each and every day great Alabama content? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm as active as it gets on Twitter. It's at, at Brett Greenberg underscore. And then I'm also you go to the Bama 247 site, I'm up there nonstop on the message boards, and I got a lot of VIP intel and stuff like that. But, Corey and Michael, I really appreciate it and uh, love talking with you guys, catching up with you too, and let's do it again. Absolutely. We nice look friend. forward to it. We'll be going to SEC Media Days, and after that, we'll get the season cranked up and be talking to you very regularly. Thank you so much, Brett, for your time this evening. All right, man. You guys have a great night. I appreciate it. Thank you. Brett Greenberg, recruiting reporter for at Bama 24-7, 24-7 Sports. Joining us on the Tide and Tiger Report, we'll have the Tiger Report, Brian Stoltz, coming up next. Hey, this is Showtime boxing analyst Steve Farhood, and you're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. Welcome back to the final drive in the Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Thursday evening. Want to thank everyone for locking in to WNSP. Of course, you can correspond with us on the app or give us a call at 251-694-1055. And our next guest is going to be talking about the Auburn Tigers for sure. And Brian Stoltz, a staff writer at Auburn Rivals. And Brian, how's it going, my friend? Hey, it's going pretty well. How about you guys? Man, absolutely blessed by the best. Trying to stay cool in all of this heat wave that's going down south here. I mean, it probably could be worse, but at the same time, we we, we just thank goodness for air conditioning. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I will say this, Brian, what is heated up is the interest in Auburn football for the 2023 football season. Hugh Freeze he, he's, he's cooling things off in regards to how things are being perceived from an Auburn football standpoint. And ticket sales have not been frostbitten as Auburn has now gone ahead and sold more regular season tickets than ever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great thing to see. I think the excitement around the program is probably at the highest it's been in maybe five, six, maybe 10 years. And uh, I think the introduction of Freeze and his staff and what they've done so far as far as recruiting and going out in the community and stuff like that has been uh, amazing. I mean, uh, you know, they've only been here since December, but the impact they've had already has just been uh, incredible to see. And, uh, you know, I think once, you know, once the initial shock of him getting hired, if there was any at all, I think people, uh, you know, saw who he was, and I think he won them over, and uh, they've been doing a heck of a job, and it's going to carry into the season. It's not going to be an easy season for the Tigers. They uh, still need to upgrade on some talent and stuff like that, which will you know, take a year or two, but I think the fans are seeing the progress that this program is making, and after this two years prior where, you know, things were at an all-time low, you know, these uh, fans are excited to get back in the stadium and support the Tigers. 
Well, I will say this. I would think that, to me, offensively for the Auburn Tigers, the biggest splash is probably – to me, at quarterback in, in Peyton Thorne, yeah. and you, 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 you can you need an O line to protect him for certain. But as far as players that we need to watch, is Peyton Thorne that guy, or is it going to be someone on the offensive line who's protecting him, or is it going to be who's behind him and he, who he's handing the ball off to, Jarquez Hunter or any of the other backs for Auburn? I mean, we uh, recently ran a poll on our site, AuburnSports.com, and, you know, I think everyone thinks the most talented uh, group right now is running back. I mean, with Jarquez, with uh, Cobb, with uh, Damari Austin and all those guys, Brian Batie from uh, USF. I mean, these guys are, you know, it's a pretty loaded backfield, but I think Peyton Bourne is the answer. It's the guy that Hugh wanted from uh, the very beginning when he entered the transfer portal. Uh, he waited and waited and waited. When he hit the transfer portal, he hit him immediately and got him. And, uh, you know, they've done a great job, like you said, about the offensive line, of revamping this offensive line. They totally needed it. They brought in nine, ten new guys that can contribute to it immediately. And I think it's going to be a good thing for uh, Peyton Thorne once he uh, gets to work with these players and learn the system and stuff like that. You know, I think he'll have a great season. Well, I, I will ask you this, you know, Auburn family, along with Texas A&M family, really paying their respects to Terry Price and, and what he meant mm -hmm. as a football man. And I know that his career took him down the path here most recently before passing away to Texas A&M. But I know he still mm -hmm. meant a lot to that Auburn family also. Yeah, I mean, he was a huge factor in the play of uh, this, this, you know, during the Tupperville area. I mean, he was here the, during the entire time from 99 to 2008, and he was a beloved coach. I was talking to uh, a former offensive lineman that played him under the other day, and he said, yeah, it was a shocking uh, loss. And, you know, I mean, he had got to help his family and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he meant a lot of Auburn. I, he had a lot of friends in Auburn. He uh, was beloved, and, you know, it's a sad thing to see. Well, going from something that was really sad and, and, and tragic to, to something that always continues to, to, to bring smiles to, to many faces along Jordan Hare is the fact that Auburn, when you, you look at the before the last time we spoke with you, there was still division football, and we had not gone to 2024 mm -hmm. divisionless football mm -hmm. moving forward. Auburn's last opportunity to, to really become a division champion, so to speak. But wanted to get your thoughts mm -hmm. about Auburn's overall schedule in 2024 and divisionless football. I mean, there's a good and bad of it. I mean, uh, you lose good rival rivalries like LSU, which is always an entertaining game. You never know what's going to happen in that rivalry. There's been fires, and there's been earthquakes, and you know everything's happened in that rivalry. So you you lose that, but you also get to play other teams more often than you would in division when you had the division. So that's a good thing. I mean, hosting Oklahoma in the first season will be great for. Uh, uh, Jordan Hare, I think he'll be rocking when Sooners come and playing Missouri and Kentucky and those schools that you usually only saw once every eight years is not going to be a happen more often. So I think it's a great thing for Auburn. I think the schedule does get a little bit easier uh, because uh, they don't have to face LSU. They don't have to face Arkansas every year or Texas A&M. So that's a good thing. But at the same time, uh, you lose some of the you know those key uh, rivalries that's meant a lot to these 
Auburn fans and to uh, a lot of players. So, you know, there's a good side and a bad side of it, but uh, I like the non-division uh, part of it. Talking to Brian Stoltz, Auburn rivals. Yeah, with that 2024 schedule, Auburn the only team in the country that will be traveling to Athens and Tuscaloosa, but that's nothing new to the Auburn Tigers. No, no, I, I, and that's something that uh, Auburn should probably try to get fixed because playing that every two years is is a pretty uh, daunting stretch. Uh, but you know, you know, it is what it is, and you, when you have two of the biggest rivals. Two of your biggest rivals are two of the top dogs in the college football right now. It's gonna, always going to be hard, no matter where the game is. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, th- th- they might want to get that fixed with the SEC because it used to be uh, one game home, one game away during a season. But, you know, you have to beat them, and uh, we'll see what can happen there. Well, the recruiting is always on point at Auburn. And really, you look at one wide receiver at Foley High School, Perry Uno Thompson, and – Auburn's mm-hmm. entire staff showing him a whole lot of love on his official visit and now kind of a, a shocking commitment from Baker wide receiver Bryce Kane only really getting ready to start his second year of high school football mm-hmm. but that blazing speed if you're able to flip Perry and you're able to get Bryce on campus that will be a connection to where now Auburn's kind of tapped and dug back into the Mobile Baldwin County area. Oh yeah, that's huge. That used to be a huge, huge target, especially during the Terry Bowden and Pat Dye and uh, Tommy Tupperville uh, eras. Uh, kind of lost it during uh, the Harson era, but uh, I think you know they've done such a good job of targeting these kids, showing that they really care, showing how much they want them at Auburn, uh, showing them that you know. You can come here. You can actually play right away sometimes, and uh, I think that's huge for uh, freezing this staff to get. I mean, they they they're making major inroads with uh, Cam Coleman at uh, Central High School in Phoenix City, which Auburn had been struggling to recruit from. Uh, and uh, you know, these guys are doing the right thing to get back in these high schools. It means so much to recruiting because you know these these high schools have so much talent that uh, they can't all go to Alabama or Georgia. Brian, I hate to ask a uh, a Brian Harson question, and it's not the first time it's been asked, and it certainly won't be the last time it'll be asked, especially after Hugh Freeze starts to have some success on the field. But I mean, it begs the question. I mean, you just said it. What, I mean, what was he doing? I mean, is it is it really that hard of a of a formula to to figure? Is it is it laziness? Like what what is it? Like what was he doing from a recruiting standpoint that Hugh Freeze is clearly not doing, or I, I guess you could say doing. He was ignoring recruits. He was thinking he was too big for the program and too big for recruiting, in my opinion. I mean, he thought players were going to come to him because of his success at Boise, and some of these kids don't know his name. I mean, they grow up in the South. They don't, they're not watching Boise State. And the, the, the lack of importance he put on the recruiting process was abysmal. I mean, I, I, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, it became worse after the February investigation uh, a year and a half ago or whatever it was. And then it just grew into a problem where, you know, he would, he, a recruit would come in and he wouldn't speak to him. So, uh, and he definitely wouldn't, didn't go out on Friday nights. He was always in the stands watching his son play, which good for him, but that's part of the job. You have to go out on Friday night and meet these players that are going to make a major impact for your program. And he just didn't do it. And the amount of um, absence and the amount of, you know, negligence that they showed, especially the Boise boys that we call them, 
uh, was just appalling. And, um, you know, it is what it is now, but, you know, Hugh Freeze and his staff are definitely paying the price right now with the talent level that they have, but they're also kicking butt on the recruiting tail and trying to get those kids to come to Auburn. Yeah, that's that's key. I mean, just being able to have a passionate fan base on top of a passionate recruiting staff and coaching staff on top of a passionate coach it equates to success down the line for Auburn and we'll switch gears from success down the line Bruce Pearl has had success to having success versus ACC opponents and Auburn now lined up to play Virginia Tech in the ACC SEC challenge I know that that's going to be a great basketball game and you know, Bruce Pearl, he's not ducking and dodging anyone on the schedule. No, and, uh, you know, it's kind of surprising. I figured that the SEC and ACC would be smart enough to put uh, Auburn and Virginia together for just just for the storyline for the Final <laughs> Four in 2019. But, you know, that's, that's fine. And Virginia Tech has always been a solid program. I think they're a solid program right now. Uh, you know, they have to come to uh, Neville Arena, which is a former Auburn Arena, but uh, – play in Neville, which is, I think, one of the best places to play in college basketball and uh, or hardest places to play in college basketball if you're an opponent. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they got a lot of good teams uh, coming up. They got Baylor this year. Uh, they host USC. So, I mean, uh, there's going to be some uh, tough uh, non-conference games that will absolutely prepare them for the SEC schedule because I don't think the SEC has been this strong in basketball in a long, long time, if ever. Can't thank you enough for your outstanding time and coverage of everything Auburn. And as we continue to move forward, the next step will definitely be SEC Media Days here in a few weeks. Look forward to, mm -hmm. to getting that started for certain and seeing the players and the coaches' comments about their excitement about the upcoming season. But how can people follow your coverage of everything Auburn? Oh, absolutely. We're AuburnSports.com. We're part of the Rivals Network, and you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Brian J. Stoltz. Brian, thank you so much for your time. Have a wonderful weekend and a happy 4th of July, and we'll talk to you again very soon. All right, anytime, guys. Thanks a lot. Brian Stoltz joining us here on the Final Drives Tide and Tiger Report, and we'll go ahead and put the finishing touches on Thursday's edition of the Final Drives Tide and Tiger Report. Hey, this is David Morse of QB Country. When I'm in my car, I always have it tuned in to 105.5 WNSP, the sports station.